Hello and welcome to Strange Sound. I'm Joe. This is episode 23 of Strange Sound. Glad to be with you. Glad that you're with me. I would say we're glad to be with you, but there's really only one of us, so I have to say me. I use the singular pronoun me, um, so that makes makes things rather simple. Um, there's only one person here to talk to. If you talk to strange sound you're talking to me joe joe is strange sound it's me it's all about me uh my usual disclaimer which i haven't repeated (laughs) every episode but just as a reminder um because strange sound is really just me producing me starring me um the opinions expressed on strange sound are mine and mine alone they represent no one else um Not my employer, not my family, not my friends, not my neighbors, certainly not my neighbors. Um, No one but me. I'm speaking for myself. And they're just my opinions, okay? Take them for what they're worth. I'm a white guy. I live in a mostly white neighborhood, pretty much nothing but white people around me. A bunch of them probably Trump voters. You never know. It's a little hard to tell. Some of them look kind of democratish, but uh, we don't really want to talk about it that much. And especially in these days of COVID nineteen related um, social distancing, I haven't really talked very much to my neighbors at all. Obviously, I don't need to remind anybody that these are these are rough times. We've been going through some very difficult times here in the United States of America. Still under the under the cloud of the COVID-19 pandemic, which is hitting here harder than anywhere else in the world, essentially. Um, we are number one. We're number one. America first. Uh, Trump promised to make America first. He promised to um, help us win the great competition. We just didn't know which competition it was going to be. It turns out it was people affected negatively by the pandemic, uh, who knew, right? And he made us number one. We're number one again. The envy of the world, right? Over 160,000 deaths. Think about that for a moment. 160,000 of our fellow Americans have died because of this pandemic. Um, that wasn't caused by Trump, but has been exacerbated by Trump and has been allowed to become a major epidemic within the uh, confines of the United States um, because of his feckless response, because of his feckless, stupid denialism, because of his, in fact, self-defeating obsessive ignorance of the truth 
Um, and I mean propagating a kind of ignorance of the, of the of the facts on this very important threat to um, public health. He has been mostly on the side of denialism throughout this entire thing. Once in a while, sort of giving up a little bit, like the thing with the masks. In all honesty, I don't really understand other than that because Trump is, um, as I've described before and as I've (laughs) borrowed this description from a certain MSNBC host, that he is a bit of a day trader. He just doesn't see things in a long-term perspective. Um, I think that may be part of the reason why Trump... Um, opted for this strategy or this approach, I won't call it a strategy, it's kind of an approach to the pandemic that has actually done him harm, that has actually harmed his chances for re-election. Remember, Donald Trump was impeached at the end of last year on a very narrow set of questions regarding um, his activities with respect to the Ukrainian government. Um, trying to get them to dish up some dirt on his likely Democratic opponent. That was uh, kind of a quixotic effort. I think everyone knew that. It wasn't that it was a bad conversation to have, to bring it out in the open. But no one, I don't think anyone, thought there was any chance that the Senate would vote to convict Donald Trump. And they, of course, didn't. Neither would they ever. I'm sure he could blow up Washington and they still wouldn't vote to impeach him or to convict him, I should say. He was impeached. He, the vote to impeach was was um, passed. Um, but the conviction obviously wasn't had because, you know, it's it's a partisan thing, right? He gives the Republican Senate exactly what they want. Um, And they give him exactly what he wants. So it's a symbiotic relationship. But um, remember where he was at the beginning of this year, right? He had survived an attempt to impeach him and had come out on top. And his prospects for reelect seem better than before. Not you know, not trouble-free, right? But significantly improved over the over the previous months. And it was largely because of, you know, a, a very narrowly focused kind of hemming and hawing type of impeachment, partly a function of just how the parties behave relative to one another. The Democrats have a tendency to be a little bit on the apologetic side, <laughs> not really have the kind of fire in the belly you need to make something stick. Um, It's possible to make congressional hearings cause damage to whoever their target is. And we've seen uh, the Tea Party Republicans do this um, with regard to like Hillary Clinton, who already had, you know, uh, over a decade of bludgeoning, you know, against her um, from various quarters of the right. Um, but had, you know, her reputation by the middle of the Obama administration had significantly improved. 
through electoral politics as well as just um, being Secretary of State and that sort of thing. Um, her record of public service, if you will, and again, I'm saying this not as a fan of Hillary Clinton, I never have been, but just objectively, she was, um, her, her stock was a lot higher in the middle of the Obama administration than it, than it had been probably ever. And they bludgeoned her with these, um, Benghazi hearings. They bludgeoned her with the, you know, um, email server business. And that had an effect. Was it a decisive effect? I don't know. But it certainly certainly brought her back down to the ground to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, I mean, Kevin McCarthy said that that was the purpose of those hearings, and he was right. He was telling the truth inadvertently. He said the quiet part loud, uh, which is partly why he didn't become speaker after that. <laughs> because uh, Kevin McCarthy is a very good fundraiser. That's why he's in leadership. He's very good at raising money from rich people um, to help his party win elections, but he's not real good at speaking. Um, so it, that cost him the speakership, frankly. Um, but now he's majority leader, so he may end up being speaker. We'll, we'll see. Um, anyway, so what I was saying before was before this COVID crisis hit, Trump's prospects were much better than they'd been for a long time, for a stretch of months. I mean, I arguably his prospects were probably best just following the release of the Mueller report and, and the whole business with, you know, Mueller testifying. Um, they had They had basically found a way to control the narrative on that. Um, mostly through the efforts of Barr, but they basically won that one. Whether or not the facts were on their side, it's the perception that counts. It doesn't matter where the facts are. It's a question of how it is perceived. And they they managed to obscure um, enough of the facts so that... Um, even people who aren't, per se, um, followers of the president and liable to believe anything he says, um, their perception of the of the sort of Russia Gate issues were 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 shaped by the by the Trump camp. Um, that was probably the high water mark for for Trump. Um, at the beginning of this year, he was beginning to ride high again because of the failure of the impeachment and that he, he had an issue to run against, you know, just saying that the Democrats were trying to, you know, um, tried another hoax and it failed and blah, blah, blah. And I've got the greatest economy in the history of the world and blah, blah, blah. And just, you know, constantly repeating the same thing over and over again. Um, so he was... He was beginning to recover, right? And then this COVID thing came along. And he, um, much like his friend Xi in, uh, in China, um, he denied it, you know, pretended it wasn't there, um, 
denied it again, um, said it was, you know, 15 people and that soon it would be one person and that soon it would just go away and it would magically disappear. And as soon as the weather started getting a bit warmer in April, it would magically disappear. And of course it didn't. And it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and they didn't do anything and they still don't have a national strategy. Um, they, you know, uh, helped to turn wearing a mask into some kind of cultural wedge issue, which is insane. So that now it's pretty much baked into the cake that a good number of Americans are not going to wear masks because they feel like it's some kind of infringement on their fundamental liberties, um, that someone is telling them to do something and they don't want to do it. And they, by not wearing a mask, they're owning the libs and that sort of thing. So, um, but in so doing, in being a part of this kind of weird denialism um, and this weird effort to sort of pretend that the coronavirus isn't anything serious, he's basically undermined the case for his reelection, which is the most, to me, it's the most gobsmacking part of this whole thing. I, I don't understand how he benefits from this. Why did he do this? Which is why I say it's probably not a strategy. It's more like it's an approach, right? It's an approach born out of what was expedient in the moment. It just doesn't seem like the product of any kind of long-term um, strategizing or thinking ahead. Um, it just probably seemed every day, day by day, this was the best thing we could do. Oh, it's going to go away. I just know it's going to go away. Um, it's going to go away and and we can just go right back to where we were before. It's getting a little bit worse, but it's going to go away. You know, and he just day by day dug himself deeper into a hole and dug us deeper into a hole, frankly. I mean, we're the injured party, right? The American people are the injured party here. So uh, essentially what he's done is just undermined his own chance at reelection. As far as like a legitimate election is concerned right so and that's probably the primary point of concern for him right now he obviously doesn't care that 160,000 Americans are dead and that millions have been infected and that there are un untold thousands of people who have life-changing um, health impacts because of this virus because they had this virus and maybe survived it, but have like compromised um, respiratory systems or heart problems that you know permanent problems, health problems that they'll be struggling with for the rest of their lives. That's another part that doesn't get talked about very much, but you know just as importantly as the hundred and sixty thousand plus people who've died are the thousands and thousands of people who who survived a severe bout of this that have life-changing health impacts you know that they're going to be struggling with for years to say nothing of the the economic impact that it's had on everyone and the continuing economic impacts that it's having on everyone now that you know um now that the PPP program has has ended and they haven't replaced it with anything because they're still, you know, sort of waffling over, over spending some money. Again, 
completely incomprehensible from a from the standpoint of like a normal campaign for presidential reelect. I don't understand that if that were the case. So what they're engaging in right now is not normal. What they're engaging in right now is, and I think uh, Michael Moore talked about this on his uh, podcast Rumble a bit, um, and he can do it a hell of a lot better than I can, but what what they're engaged in is really a, a set of strategies to undermine confidence in the outcome of this election and to, well, that's part of it, but they're also trying to make it hard for people to vote. So they've attacked the idea of vote by mail because they know it's likely that that's the way uh, most people would be able to vote and stay safe, right? Um, That people would opt for that because it could potentially be too dangerous to go to the polls in November and because they're doing all they can to limit people's access to the ballot uh, through, you know, closing polling locations. Um, this is a way in which the COVID crisis works in their favor, right? It's hard to get poll workers to uh, be willing to go out on election day and, and man the polling places. You know, these are mostly volunteers. I mean, elections happen on a local and a county level. And uh, these are all like retirees. I mean, at least around where I live, these are retirees that volunteer their time to go out there and to, you know, help people vote and to man the man the polling places. And, uh, you know, I don't know that they're willing to risk their lives to do that. And that, in fact, if there's a, you know, if there's an ongoing COVID crisis at that point, and there's likely to be, that that's what we would be asking them to do. So with that limitation, with limitations in polling places in in states like Georgia and, and elsewhere, Florida, I'm sure they'll limit the number of polling places, particularly in urban areas and in places where they think the Democratic vote is going to be strongest, making it hard to register to vote, which they've done in a lot of the states, Mississippi, um, you name it. I mean, there's a, there are restrictions on on access to the ballot. I talked about this in the last episode, I believe, um, with regard to the Voting Rights Act, the last couple episodes. So what they're doing is that, which is something that the Republican Party has been doing for a long time. That's nothing new. That didn't start with Trump. In fact, the Bush administration, the George W. Bush administration, some of the trouble they had in their um, sixth year in office was related to this effort to push um, prosecutions of voter fraud. This is when they fired um, a bunch of U.S. attorneys across the country. This is just in in advance of the 2006 elections. where they got slammed. Um, the Republicans lost their majority in the, in the House of Representatives, and um, they were trying to push these U.S. attorneys to take up cases of voter fraud, and a, a lot of them were pushing back. 
and saying, you know, there's just no case here. This is not a thing. And so they they got fired. Uh, and that was uh, that was kind of a dramatic moment in a longer project to sort of limit access to the ballot that the Republicans have been involved in. So that that part of it is not new. Uh, not by a long shot, right? They know that the more people have access to the ballot, the less chances they have to uh, prevail, particularly in these national elections. But the other thing that Trump is doing is undermining confidence in the outcome of the election, regardless of whether he wins or loses. He is day by day, month by month, um, tweet by tweet, utterance by utterance, attacking the very idea of the legitimacy of American elections. Um, It starts with his bogus claim about uh, voter fraud in the 2016 and 2018 elections. Um, His claiming that, you know, in 2016, um, he actually won the popular vote, but that 3 million people voted for Hillary Clinton um, fraudulently, that these were illegal aliens voting for Hillary Clinton, you know, stuffing ballots um, in California and elsewhere, which is ludicrous. Zero evidence of that, right? I mean, you know, don't take my word for it. The Brennan Center has some good uh, resources on this. Obviously, they're not the only ones. A lot of people reported on this. All the research is is pretty, pretty solid on this. And I'm again, I'm talking to people I know who <laughs> basically share my point of view. Um, there's no amount of evidence that you can quote to a Trump supporter that's going to convince them otherwise. But in all honesty, um, Trump is just lying about this. And we know he's lying. Um, he probably knows he's lying if he knows what a lie is. And I don't usually do this, but I'm going to read from this um, Brennan Center report. And I'll, I'll share a link to this just so that you have this as a resource. Uh, it's a larger article about um, the the myth of voter fraud. And it's a report called 10 Voter Fraud Lies Debunked. And this is by Max Feldman over at the Brennan Center. Uh, Trump lies about non-citizens voting after losing popular vote. This is a quote. Weeks after being elected in 2016, the president tweeted, quote, in addition to winning the Electoral College in a landslide, I won the popular vote if you deduct the millions of people who voted illegally, unquote. Uh, That's the president's quote. This is back to the article. Quote, in the aftermath of the 2016 election, the Brennan Center researched and rebutted claims of widespread non-citizen voting. The ensuing report found only about 30 incidents of suspected non-citizen voting that were referred for further investigation or prosecution out of 23.5 million votes tabulated in the 42 jurisdictions studied, which were selected because of their high rates of non-citizen residents. In other words, non-citizens' votes accounted for no more than 0.0001% of the 2016 votes in these jurisdictions. Okay, so that's... 
that's his claim of voter fraud. There's, there is zero evidence of it. And most of the cases that they're talking about are mistaken cases, things, of, things like people voting by mistake. Um, Trump also blamed the 2016 New Hampshire loss on out-of-state voters on out-of-state voters being sort of bussed in from neighboring states. This is another part of the same article. The Brennan Center and a number of journalists have rebutted this claim, as did New Hampshire's Secretary of State Bill Gardner, who was a member of Trump's own voter fraud commission. Some of you may remember this. An investigation by the New Hampshire Attorney General found virtually zero evidence of voter fraud in the state, even though Trump's claim was baseless. It has had a harmful effect on elections. Since 2016, the state has enacted two laws to make it more difficult for students to register and to vote. Furthermore, Trump has revived the claim, repeating it at a New Hampshire rally in February of 2020. So they continue with this, right? They also, you know, I mean, this this idea of voter impersonation is perhaps the most ridiculous uh, claim um, in 2018, the president made this claim, and this is also from the article, uh, the Republicans don't win, and that's, I should say it in his voice, right? The Republicans don't win, and that's because potentially illegal, vo- potentially illegal votes. When people get in line, they have absolutely no right to vote, and they go around in circles. Sometimes they go to their car, put on a different hat, put on a different shirt, come in and vote again. That's our president. Ah, uh, the Brennan Center, alongside academics and journalists, have investigated claims of voter impersonation fraud, which happens to be when an illegal voter pretends to be an, an eligible voter at the polls, and found that it almost never happens. A Brennan Center report determined that Americans are more likely to be struck by lightning than to commit voter impersonation fraud. Follow-up work by Loyola Law School's Justin Levitt found just 31 credible instances of impersonation fraud from 2000 to 2014 out of more than 1 billion ballots cast. Now, if you think about it, it makes total sense that this would be the rarest, most freakish crime ever. Americans have to be encouraged to vote. Americans don't honestly, don't really think about voting that much. And the idea that someone would risk committing a federal crime, a felony, committing a felony just to cast a ballot to impersonate a voter and to walk into a polling place and claim that you're someone else and take the chance that that person hadn't already been there the fact that you would try to do that um with with all of the all of the safeguards in place to to make that almost impossible is just ludicrous for what purpose and the idea that this is somehow repeated millions of times is just simply insane that's why you know there's 31 instances and i'm sure if you look at those 31 instances there are there are things like people making a mistake. I'm not going to go through the 31 instances because it's just it's just too ludicrous to even talk about. Now, vote by mail. This is where the president is in, is placing a lot of his marbles right now and he doesn't have a lot of marbles to work with, but this is where he's placing a lot of emphasis. And it's because he knows that 
the potential way for him to lose decisively this fall would be through this more universal vote-by-mail um, impetus that's become kind of an issue in this country. Because of the COVID crisis, people are more or less demanding to be able to vote by mail, to vote absentee, essentially, which is the same thing as vote by mail, um, without cause. And he sees this, and I think rightfully so, as a potential threat to his reelect. Because without vote by mail on a widespread basis, a lot of people are not going to make it to the polls. A lot of people are not going to be able to vote. And he's he's betting on, you know, the election day vote to be mostly his people. So what he's doing right now is undermining the legitimacy of vote by mail. Even though he does it himself, even though the military does it, even though whole states have been doing it for years— even though many localities do it, he is attacking the legitimacy of vote by mail. Because when the election occurs, and the election will occur, when election day comes and goes, it's quite possible that we won't know who won the election because a lot of the vote will still be out. If a lot of people vote by mail, a lot of the vote will still be out. And he is setting the predicate for saying, this is fraud. This is the Democrats stealing the election. They are delaying the results because right now they're inventing votes. Or, you know, foreigners are sending in bogus votes. And Trump has actually described what he considers to be the plausible, you know, scenario by which um, fraudulent mail-in ballots could be cast. That somehow... Foreigners can print up a bunch of ballots and just send them in and they'll be counted automatically. Ludicrous. That's not how it works. <laughs> it's simply not how it works. He does, it, it, it's not that he doesn't understand how it works. He probably doesn't. But he's trying to create a misimpression in people's minds that it's simply just a matter of sending in a ballot and that ballot gets counted. That's not how it works. They have to verify that the ballot, first of all, scans. Second of all, is is has a signature on it. Um, third, you get one ballot if you're a voter. You know, if someone sends one in in your stead, and yours came in at the same time, you know, you they'd only take one of them, right? They're not going to take a bunch of bogus ballots just sort of randomly sent to them. It's the sort of thing where, I mean, the thing that I equate it with is, like, if you've ever ordered, like, uh, snacks from Panera or something through the internet, you know, if you go to their website and go in and order, you know, like, a bunch of stuff and uh, and tell them that you're going to pick it up and you pay for it in advance and you tell them what kind of a car you're going to be driving. You give them their name and you tell them when you're going to be there. And they say, okay, you pull up and you call us and uh, we'll be looking out for you. And then we'll bring, we'll bring the bag out to you. You don't even have to come in. There's no contact. It's, it's, it's simple, right? Something like that. 
it would be like someone trying to hack into that system. So that if I said, well, I'm going to pull up in a, in a green Chevy Nova. Um, and, and they somehow got that information either through a back channel or whatever. And they say, okay, well now I got to find myself a green Chevy Nova and I'm going to pull up and I got to know what the name of that guy is. And I got to hope that guy doesn't show up at the same time or before me. And then I'll get free bagels. You know, it's like, so it would be like this massive effort. You'd have to go through all this trouble to get some free bagels, right? (laughs) You'd have to like hack into their system. You'd have to figure out when, you know, the person is going to be arriving, right? And try to get there ahead of them and then grab the bagels and drive away and get the same same make and model and color of car, (laughs) I mean, it's that's kind of what Trump is describing, right? That someone is going to go through all this trouble to fake a ballot, and all ballots are local, right? If you send a ballot to, say, Oneida County, New York, and you're in a certain ward of the city of Utica, um, and you send in the wrong ballot, they're going to know it. Right, because that ballot looks a certain way. It's got a certain number of races on it. It's got names on it. It has a certain look to it. It's got a certain code on it. That's set in stone. So unless they can somehow grab that, copy it, anticipate who's on the voter rolls, you know, fake their signature, send it in, and you know, ahead of time, and somehow trump the system. Why would you do that? And he's talking about doing it times a million. It's not just like one or two here and there. It's like he's he's talking about millions of ballots. He's trying Trump is trying to make people think that vote by mail is voter fraud. He's trying to make those two things synonymous. And the way he's doing it is by mischaracterizing how it works and how easy it would be to um to pull off a scam. We can't let him do that, right? So the thing uh, I would encourage people to do, and this is just me talking here, the thing I would encourage people to do and what I try to do myself is try to encourage people to have more confidence in vote-by-mail. Mail-in ballots are a completely legitimate way to cast a ballot. And we have to get used to that idea, and we have to be more aggressive about defending that. I mean, they're trying to attack it in in a variety of different ways. His postmaster general is already um, has is trying his best to hobble the postal service. Um, they've also decided just recently that they're going to raise the cost of mail-in ballots from a kind of a flat rate to first-class mail rate, which is at least twice as much as what they would ordinarily pay. So they've increased the cost to states, knowing that states are strapped for cash right now. Um, so the, the mailing cost is going to be much higher uh, for ballots because they're trying to make it as hard as possible. And they're you know overwhelming the... Um, the Postal Service with, with work, essentially. They're overworking their own employees so that uh, it's almost impossible for them to get it done in a timely fashion. 
Um, we have to defend our right to vote. That's just obvious, right? We need to defend our right to vote and not just assume that they can't take it away. I'm talking to everybody here. I don't care who you vote for. Well, I do in my own political way, but I don't, it doesn't really much matter who you vote for. We have to defend our right to cast a ballot or else we're going to lose it. Don't think they won't take it away. They might not, but they might. There's always a first time. It would be a first time in American history, but there's always a first time. In Chile, they had a long um, tradition of democratic elections, and uh, in 1973, they came to a screeching halt. So, you know, 1973 could happen here, too. Just a word to the wise. Anyway, that's all I got to say about it. I'd like to hear what you have to say. Uh, You can leave a voice message. I think it's a one-minute voice message maximum um, at anchor.fm slash strange sound. That's anchor.fm slash strange sound. My site on Anchor is not built out very um very heavily, but it's but there are links to uh the strange sound social media properties, as it were. Uh the Twitter account, which is at Strange Sound Pod. Um also uh our Facebook presence is linked to from there. Um if you go to big greennet which is um Big Greens, uh, my my band Big Greens homepage and click on the podcast tab. There's a link to Strange Sound as well. Um, please subscribe. Encourage your friends to subscribe. Send me a message. Um, contact me on Twitter. Contact me on Facebook. However you like to get in touch with me, um, if you send me a comment, I'll play it on the air. I'm glad to respond. Let's turn this into a conversation. And uh, I will talk to you next time. This has been Strange Sound. Thanks for listening. I'm Joe once again. Take care out there.